for creation.
just read some scripture, some scripture, Ephesians 1, 3 through 7. There's so many times in scripture you just kind of, you just power through it, right? You just read the words and it's like, man, I don't it. So much of this
Let, let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, you are beautiful. And you are everything to your children because without you, we're hopeless. And we're not just hopeless uh, of dying and going to hell. We're hopeless without hope. We're, for this life, we, we are alone. And I thank you, Father, this morning that Pastor Chad and the worship team was able to rally our voices to sing songs of truth and, and faithfulness to you. And man, that new song, Lord, that talks about you forgave us and you loved us even before we knew your name, God. Wow. Thank you for you. And I pray that you would remind us that our lives now are to be lived for you at all times and in all ways. We love you, Father, because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated, uh, kids. You can are dismissed to GPS. Uh, before I jump into our text, and we're going to be at the end of Acts 15 this morning as we continue our, our walk through it, uh, I want to make a few announcements this morning. Uh, I want to remind you um, that we do our, vo our virtual bulletin comes to you on Friday afternoons, uh, as well as through your email, you get the prayer guide and all. And if you are not receiving those, if you would please, after church, there's a welcome to Carpenter's Way table in the entryway. And uh, uh, my dad and my other mom, Karen, will be at that table, and they'd love to take your information and get that to us. Also, if you're visiting, we've had a ton of visitors lately. If you'd like to know more about Carpenter's Way, that table's for you. we got information on there, what we believe, why we do what we do. So make sure you make your way over to that table and shake their hands, or I'll be up here after the service. But we're glad you're here. I do want to remind you, that body life at Carpenter's Way in a room this large and with people coming and going so much, we, um, it's impossible in here to build intimate, personal, real relationships that we need to encourage our walk with God. Uh, we do that in our Bible study groups. And now that things are opening up a little bit, and by, what, by the way, starting in June, we're going to start serving our bad coffee again. <laughs> it is so amazing how excited people are about Java. It's really lousy, but we serve it and it's free. Uh, but anyway, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're, gonna, we're excited to start that up again so you'll be able to stay awake during the message. Uh, that'll start in June. But we also, as people are coming back, we want to encourage you to jump back into Bible studies. And if you're new with us, that's where relationships are built. Our Bible studies at Carpenter's Way function as little churches. And in other words, you take care of each other, you pray for each other. Uh, when time of need comes up, you meet each other's needs. And certainly we do that as a whole church, but it starts in our Bible study groups. They take place, we have a couple that meet at 8.30 before the Sunday morning service. We have many of them that meet right after service at 11 o'clock, and we would be glad to direct you to one. There's about seven of them, and if you're, uh, you can move from one to the other until you find one that's comfortable. We even have one for uh, young families that meets on Sunday night that my wife and I lead. Uh, and then we have Bible studies during the week. We have for men and for women. Lots of opportunity for you to build relationships, and we encourage you to do that. I also want to let you know that uh, we have a new members class coming in the middle of the month of June, and uh, uh, it's called Carpenter's Way 101, and basically what that class is for is you'll meet all the leadership of the church. It parallels our Sunday morning time from 9.30 until about 11.45, and so there's child care going on, but you'll meet all the leaders. We go through the doctrine of the church and, and why we do what we do, and you can ask questions, and, and uh, that's, a, that's a great time for you to get to know us, and that's the way you become a member if you're interested. Uh, we'll love you if you choose not to be, but that's a great uh, entry point. Another thing that I want to keep reminding you of, and that is there are three ways for us to pray for each other. 
Number one, you can call the office if you have a prayer need and you can let Dolores know and we'll put you on the weekly prayer guide that comes out on Friday afternoon. Second way is we have a new prayer team. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's for urgent prayer requests. If we get a call and somebody's in the ER or if, uh, if somebody has emergency surgery, for urgent prayer requests, we have a prayer team that we text out in those times. And uh, if you're interested in being on that prayer team, please let us know. Uh, or again, if it's after hours, if you have need, if you'll email or text us, we'll make sure that they're praying for you during that or if you're having surgery. Uh, so that's the second area. And the third one is on the back wall between these two doors is uh, we have a prayer wall or maybe on that side of the door. But it's a big wood wall and it says prayer wall. And if you want to be anonymous or you have a prayer request you don't want to put your name to, uh, you just want somebody to pray for, you just write it on a card there. There's a piece of tape. You put it on that prayer wall and someone will come by and take it. If you are a child of God, we ask that you take a prayer request if you leave a prayer request, or as you walk by, if you see one, just take it home. It's not going to, in most times, it's not going to have a person's name, but just lift them up to the Lord. Uh, if you're not saved, you are welcome, or you're just on a spiritual journey trying to figure this thing out. We are glad to pray for you. You just put your name on it, and you stick it on there, and somebody will grab your prayer request uh, and, and let it go. Now, somebody put on there, just wrote unspoken, and you can certainly do that. But remember, nobody knows who you are. The camera that is on that, that we secretly pass around, is only for the staff. No, I'm just kidding. But we want, we want you to be able to put your prayer needs out there so people can pray for you specifically, even if they don't know your name. So please don't be afraid. Uh, we understand that some are still such an intimate, personal thing that you don't want to put out there. We respect that. But we're looking for ways to build relationships with each other as we build our relationships with God and pray for each other. And this is especially difficult and it takes courage for those of you who are new to the church because we want you involved. We want you, we want you to feel at home. We want you prayed for and loved on. And quite a few of you are actually coming from out of town and we're awfully glad. Welcome to East Texas. My wife and I are relatively new. We've only been here for 15 years so we don't really count. They Apparently you don't, you're not a Texan unless your great-grandparents were born here. So if you're from California, somebody said it's true. Uh, if you're from California or the West Coast, uh, you're welcome to come to Carpenter's Way. We will tell you how to vote. So I'm teasing. I am so kidding. That's the joke I got for a long time. So uh, anyway, hey, Robert, why don't you come on up here? Uh, Robert is our pastor of missions, and we have an opportunity for us to do some missionary work if you're interested in the month of June. So Robert's going to talk about that. Well, the first thing I want to say is I'm real happy about the coffee coming back. And I know who's going to make it, so I guarantee you you're going to stay awake. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> It'll be strong. Marine coffee. <laughs> okay. So a couple, three weeks ago, I made an announcement about an opportunity for us to do a little work with a church in Brownsville. It's Iglesia Baptista West Brownsville and Pastor Carlos Navarro. Uh, there was two things he really needed. Um, one was money for food, which y'all, because of your giving, we've provided that to him, which they were extremely thankful for. The second opportunity we have is to actually go down and physically work uh, at the facilities he has. And I'm just going to give you some reminders of the numbers. This is a small church, and the numbers, the, the number of migrants that they've served in the past year or so is almost 10,000. Uh, they had 3,600 decisions for Christ. They passed out almost 4,300 Bibles, and they've served over 20,000 meals. So you can tell that, that kind of... Uh, traffic through a building can really uh, mess it up. And so what we're going to be doing is, is actually working in the building, doing painting, woodwork, plumbing, whatever it may be. 
So we're going to take a group down. Originally, I had it set for a date. I had to change it. So we're going to be leaving on June the 22nd, and we'll be coming back to Lufkin on June the 26th. You'll have to provide your own room um, and, and probably your, most of your own food. I will say that I know the Alversons are taking a, a, a travel trailer, and so you can do that. I know someone else is doing a bread and, uh, bed and breakfast, so you can do that, however, wherever you want to stay. But we'll have hotel also. Uh, so if you're interested in going, it can be men, women, teenagers, anybody that can pick up, pick up a paintbrush or push a broom, they can come on this trip. So if you're interested or want more information, I'll be back by that back door after the service, and I'll be happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Yes, sir. She, she okay? All right. All right. Thank you, Robert. So we're here to serve. We're here to build relationships. We're here to trust the Lord. And uh, let's pray again. Let's pray for this young lady, and then let's get into the Word. Father, thank you again. For all that you allow us to do together and uh, I ask you Lord Jesus to take care of this young lady and uh, thank you that their families around her and things are fine and now as we turn our focus away to the business of church and the business of our family to you I pray you'd speak to us in a very special way in Jesus name we pray amen all right Kevin would you put this picture on the board please what you are looking at is called Christ the Redeemer of the Andes uh, has anybody seen it in real life in person so nobody's been down there. It is on the border of Chile. And, uh, well, let me tell you more. At the beginning of the 21st century, Pope Leo VIII called for peace and harmony and for devotion to Christ the Redeemer for all Catholics globally. At the same time, Argentina and Chile, which this stands right on the border of, you'll notice both of their flags there, Argentina and Chile, both Catholic countries were coming close to armed conflict in an, an ongoing dispute over the location of the border. <clears throat> a prominent regional bishop, who I can't pronounce his name, promised to erect a statue of Christ to remind these parties of Christ's message and the Pope's message of peace. Unfortunately, it did not end the fighting among the Catholic countries. It did change the subject, though, because while this statue symbolized a pledge that both countries made, that as long as the statue was there, there would be peace between these two countries, Argentina and Chile, it was shortly after the statue was erected, the Chileans realized that the back of the statue of Christ was facing their nation, and that became a problem for them. So tempers actually raised as a result of this statue higher than they were before, and it looked like armed conflict would break out when a Chilean newspaper man saved the day by writing in an op-ed, the Argentina, we can relax now, knowing that the people of Argentina need more watching over by Jesus than we Chileans. Okay. People fight over the dumbest things, don't we? Yeah. And it isn't even just secular people, even religious people. Catholics are fighting over this. And it isn't just Catholics. Boy, we know splits in churches that we've been a part of. To be sure, there are things that are worth fighting for. Like what we looked at a couple weeks ago as we were in the beginning of Acts 15, 
that in Acts 15, 1 and 2 tell us really what they were, what the problem was. It tells us that when Paul and Barnabas returned from their first uh, uh, missionary journey, and we are, for those of you who are visiting with us or watching online and haven't been with us, we are studying through Acts right now, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, which is what we do on Sunday mornings and in most of our Bible studies. We're watching the church be birthed at Pentecost and begin to expand through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now it's going throughout the uttermost parts of the world in Gentile communities, and that's causing a lot of, uh, of debate and conflict in the church. Well, Paul and Barnabas returned from their first missionary journey to their home church, which is Antioch of Syria. So I want to remind you at this point, he's not Paul like we know him, who wrote most of the New Testament. He's Paul, member of the Antioch church, called by God specifically to be an apostle. But he's a member of that church who's sent out by that church to go on short-term missions. And so he does. And he takes Barnabas with, this and then, with him, and then he returns back to Antioch of Syria, where he does ministry again. Well, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers that unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, Paul and Barnabas, verse 2 says, disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Now, Paul refers to this fight in Galatians chapter 2, and this is again what we looked at two weeks ago. And he calls these people who had traveled from Judea into Antioch of Syria false believers. Not just false teachers, but these aren't even believers. And um, as they pushed the, Jew, the Jewish Hebraic religious traditions, their legalism as part of the salvation process, and in that was a fight worth having. Paul and Barnabas argue vehemently with them. The church of Antioch of Syria decide they need to solve this. And so the way they solve it is they send Paul and Barnabas. They send these Judaizers. They send leaders from the church of Antioch of Syria to the mother church, which is still in Jerusalem. And they ask the apostles and elders of that church to speak on behalf of this. And it ends with Acts 15, 32 through 35 that we ended with a couple weeks ago. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers in Antioch, encouraging them and strengthening their faith. They stayed a while with them, and then the believers sent them back to the church in Jerusalem with a blessing of peace. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, and they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord there. Theological problem solved. Unity is restored. False doctrine put down and ousted. And as often we think, we could only hope to be just like the problem-solving and unified New Testament church in Acts. Unfortunately, we are. More than we wish. Because as much as we like clean endings to stories, that story doesn't end there. In fact, in verse 36, we pick it up there, that it says, after some time, so we know that Paul and Barnabas are continuing to do ministry in Antioch of Syria, living within the church. Again, we, we, the way we think because of the way we were taught in Sunday school is everything happens like that. That's not true. Paul didn't just start writing the letters to the churches. They happen over a period of time while he's on his journeys to interact with them, to encourage them. And Paul is at the beginning, actually, of his ministry here. Although it's been about 15 or 20 years, he's really just starting to take leadership uh, of the church. Well, he decides with Barnabas, after being there some time, he says to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of God to see how the new believers are doing. This would be their second missionary journey. 
Barnabas agreed, verse 37 tells us, and he wanted to take along with them John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work, this disagreement was so sharp that Paul and Barnabas, who almost flows off our tongue like one guy, actually split up. It says that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and, si and sailed for Cyprus, while Paul chose Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted to them the Lord's gracious care, and he traveled throughout Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches there. This is, um, I, I mean, I know that this is just four verses, but this is dumb. This is a uh, ridiculous fight. In fact, what's so interesting about this is Paul, our type A driven brother, was ready and anxious to get back and follow up with churches that he had planted to help them establish themselves and make disciples. And Barnabas agreed that it was time to go back and was excited to go. So excited that he begins to put their missionary team together. And he decides to take his cousin, John Mark, with them. John Mark, if you recall, had started out on their first missionary journey with them. But after a while, for whatever reason, it doesn't tell us what those reasons are, but he decides to leave this missionary trip and return home to his family in Jerusalem. Luke actually calls what he did as desertion. So we get an idea that whatever reason John Mark leaves the mission, it isn't a good reason. If Luke is recording that it's desertion and Paul is upset, well, it tells us that in the Greek text, it says that Barnabas, when he presented his cousin's name, John Mark, to Paul, it says the Greek tells us that he was persistent and insistent that John Mark go. And it also tells us that Paul wasn't just against it, but he fought not to take John Mark with him. Both were sure that they were right, and we can assume that both had important points to be made, but as a result of inflexibility and inability to understand each other's case, it is a breakup of this famously effective mission team. And it happens as Barnabas takes John Mark and they head towards Cyprus. And Paul takes somebody else named Silas with him and heads out. Aren't you glad that Luke doesn't just record for us perfection in the young church? It's, it's, it was funny to me because I know I've told you this a bunch, but we've all kind of thought, man, that church was so exciting and so many people were being saved and there was such wonderful discipleship and to have the apostles there. I wish we could be in that time. I wish I could be there. It would be so different for me if I was living at that time. But the truth is, they're just like we are. And not just the little people, but the apostle and his missionary partner. This fight is not about theology. It's not about doctrine. This isn't over how a person gets saved. This is over who gets to go on the mission trip to Brownsville. That's what this is about. And, and while this is a text that we often just kind of read back or read over, I want you to know how thankful I am that the scriptures, old and new, don't just record for us how wonderful Abraham was. It also records that he pimped his wife off three times to save his own life. And in the great tradition of good parenting, Isaac, his son, does the same thing at least twice. It is awesome to realize that the scriptures record for us that Joseph was kind of a spoiled brat. It is interesting 
that Luke records for us while trying to explain how the church grew from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the world so that Theophilus, who we think was a, a leader in Rome, would understand that this isn't just a Jewish cult that's going to cause problem. It grew and is founded on good doctrine, on biblical doctrine, that he actually records some of the silly things that the authors of the New Testament are going, who, who will be the authors of the New Testament, who, the silly things that they do. Isn't it wonderful that God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect plan? That is such good news. Now, for those of you who watch at home because you're not good enough to go to church, or for those of you in this room who aren't good enough to be uh, in ministry because you're a failure, your reason for doing that are now over. If a week after, uh, the qu a question I often get is, how long should a person who has moral failure, how long should they be out of ministry if the Lord allows them to go back? And last time I checked, the answer with Peter, who denied Christ openly and used God's name to validate I swear to God, three times. The answer to that question is about a week. Because about a week later, when they're around the fire, Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Three times, the same number of times that he denied Christ. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. That's code for get back to work. Enough feeling sorry for yourself. Okay, thank you for repenting. Let's get back. Let's get back to work. And I love this because this is ugly. If this had happened at Carpenter's Way, I would have a knot in my stomach going, you've got to be kidding me. This is that kind of stupid as far as we know. And they didn't give us more information. So with the information we have, this is ridiculous. This is a personality problem. Luke doesn't even give us a clue in this as to who's right in the fight. But we do know that for whatever the cause is, John Mark is considered a deserter. So we have some right for Paul not to like him or trust him. And we know that it's it's Barnabas's cousin, so maybe it's a family thing. But whatever the case, they should have worked it out. What we do know is that late in Paul's ministry, some of the last letters that Paul writes are to Timothy, pastor of the church of Ephesus, and he's imprisoned. And he asks Timothy to send John Mark to him because he's been such an encouragement to him in his ministry. Restoration takes place later. Another thing that's interesting that you may not know is that John Mark, this big baby from California who leaves the missionary journey and heads back to his mama in San Diego, he actually authors the book of Mark. Isn't that interesting? This morning I'd like to take this opportunity to do something I don't do very often, and I want to jump on, and I want to talk about something that happens in every church since, well, actually it happened even on Jesus's, uh, with his disciples. Of the 12 he chose, one was Judas. And there is, uh, when Jesus was teaching the disciples, there was lots of conflicts among them. Again, I know that we put all of these characters in stained glass, but the only one worthy of stained glass is Jesus. The rest of the characters, they, they, they need to be pictured in stained glass a little bit dirty. Because they were constantly fighting among themselves. Do you remember that after three and a half years, as they're going to the room for the Last Supper, two of them send their mama to ask Jesus if they can sit on his right and left when he starts his kingdom. Boy, that's, an, that's a California move if I've ever heard one. 
I'd like to apologize to my California friends that are watching. I'm just, I'm making it culturally relevant. <laughs> the, fact, the fact is, the fact is, they were constantly bickering and arguing. If you don't know this, you need to read John and listen how John speaks of his competition constantly with Peter. Talking about who ran faster. Talking about who jumps out of the boat quicker. Talking about who is more reasonable. It's all in there. not be conflict, but it is definitely needling each other. They were just like us. And what's interesting is Paul, who may very well be in the wrong here, actually records for us later these words from Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 7. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, so Paul's in prison here, I beg of you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And at that point, if you don't read ahead, you're thinking to yourself, okay, walk worthy of your calling. Okay, Paul, I, I understand, so I, I shouldn't commit adultery. I shouldn't look at things, magazines I shouldn't look at, and I shouldn't lie, cheat, or steal. That's true. All of those things are about walking worthy. But look at how he refers to it. What is on his heart? What is he specifically referring to here? Verse 2, always be humble and gentle. So when he talks about being walking worthy of your calling, he's talking about interpersonal relationships between the family of God. I want you to be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Wow. He could have used a piece of that with John Mark, couldn't he have? Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Why? Why, Paul? Because verse 4 tells us that there is one body and one spirit. Just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Are you getting the theme here? One, 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 one. There's not two. There's not 20. There's not 12. There's one. One God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. However, despite the fact that we are all one, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And, and I believe, this is just Mark, but I believe, and I cannot prove this from Scripture, but I believe that the spiritual gifts that he gives the church are not limited to the 12 that we often list. I think that God gifts each of us differently based upon the context and the, and the tools that we need to have to accomplish his task. I think the ones listed in 1 Corinthians are an, an example of the gifts, just, an, just a wide uh, splotch of them, but I think not only gifted with what God has for us to do, and I think yeah, let's look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 real quick. I want to remind you that God saved you by his grace, Paul says, when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. Let that soak in. Nobody's going to disagree with that this morning. You can't take credit for your salvation. Why? It's a gift from God to you. Next verse. Salvation is not a reward. So he's doubling down. He's, he's, he's making us again. Salvation is not the reward for good things we've done. None of us could boast about it. If we're going to boast about anything as children of God, it's Jesus Christ. His work. His humility. His offer of salvation. Because salvation isn't a reward for good things that we've done. None of us can boast about it. Next verse. Verse 10. Now, 
This verse has been memed to death and is totally misunderstood and we immediately contextualize it in our brain. But I want you to understand that Ephesians 2.10 is in light of the fact that you didn't save yourself, that it's a gift, that God has done all the work. Because of that, understand, you are God's masterpiece. That doesn't mean you're extraordinarily pretty. That doesn't mean the world is going to love you, and it doesn't mean you can raise the dead. It just means that when God retooled you as his child and inhabited you by the Holy Spirit, actually the word masterpiece here could have been translated as tapestry. He sewed you together with the right color string, the right type of thread, using the right needle, and what did he do that for? Because he created us anew in Christ Jesus, or through Christ Jesus, in the power of Christ Jesus. Why did he do that? So we can do the good things he planned for us a long time ago. So in other words, when God looked into the future and knew that Mark Wilkie would be born, he gave me the right personality that he would be for the purpose of his kingdom. And in that, when I became a child of his and I surrendered control of my life to him, the Holy Spirit began to retool me with the thread of God using the needle of God and the hands of God to make me the man I needed to be to pastor Carpenter's Way Baptist Church in 2021. That's, what, that's the thing. And, and here's the thing. You will amen that. I heard some of you go, yeah, that's right. But I want you to know that where you sit this morning, whether it's in this room or at home, if you are truly, and I mean truly the child of God, and the difference between somebody who's a child of God and somebody like the demons who know he died, buried, and rose again, the difference is that the Holy Spirit inhabits the child of God. If you are the Holy Spirit inhabited child of God this morning, then you are not, then, then you are, in fact, uniquely tooled by God and sewn together by God. I'm looking over here and I see a friend of mine. Oh, I'm going to use your name, Jack. Jack, uh, Jack and I have, have been friends for a few years. Uh, his wife asked me to befriend him. He needed somebody. And uh, I'm just kidding. That's not true. Don't ask her that. Poor Sarah found out, and she's like, anyway. But the, but the fact remains that I remember our first conversation. I mean, he sat down with me, and it was, for those of you who don't know, Jack is a consummate military guy, a Marine, and he's a cop. Now he trains police officers at Angelina College. That's in his heart. That is his personality. And I remember, and you're going to relate to this, guys. I remember his question to me was, you know, I've been in church most of my life, and I'm not sure where I fit, but my family sure likes this church. It's good for my wife. It's good for my daughters. I'm just not sure where I fit. I'm, I'm a guy who's killed people. I'm a guy who, who defends the rights. I carry a gun. And I just doesn't seem to me like the church has place for that. And then he started studying David. Because God didn't ask Jack to lead worship at Carpenter's Way. Although he could. It would be bad, but he could. <laughs> God asked Jack to be part of a team that makes you safe while you're in here. Not everybody should make doilies. Not everybody should lean in worship. Chad, I can't hit that note you hit. I just love that. I heard it again today. You are beautiful. I, I kind of hit it right there, but it's flat. I want to sing that someday. When we get to heaven, and all, all of you are singing, because we've all said that, when I get to heaven, I want to sing like that. When I get to heaven, I just want to hit that note. I mean, I just love that. And then Christine's singing underneath, you know. And it's just so good. I just want to hit that. But God says, I didn't ask you to hit that. I, I don't really want you to even try, Mark. Why don't you just sing the melody? Don't, don't harm, do not harmonize. Sometimes I'm up here, you know, and I'm singing out and I'm singing loud. And I mean, I can feel it. Chad introduces, he introduced a new song this morning, which was, dude, that was like a song. Anyway, um, dude is not a biblical word. Um, <laughs> 
but I'll be sitting out here and I'm like, I'm like, I'm building, it's building. I'm going high. And, and my daughter's like, Dad, don't, don't do that. <laughs> and you can watch Christine and when I'm singing off key. And I found out this morning they can hear me. I mean, because I, I sing loud. I don't talk loud, but I sing loud. And, but you realize that I wasn't called to be a worship leader. That's, that's not my calling. Jack wasn't called to run women's ministry at Carpenter's Way or the children's department. He's, he's sewn together perfectly. This is a conversation we had for years because we have turned this into a thing where everybody's got to have short hair. Oh! Just kidding. My wife didn't make me get a haircut, but I like her thinking I'm handsome. But, but I do miss my long hair, I got to tell you. Steve Hicks, that's the last time I'm going to mention it. He hates it when I mentioned my beautiful, I had, a, I had a mullet. It was so fun. People are like, why did you like it? And I know I've heard from all of you, you like the short hair better. Thank you. And for those two, <laughs> but listen, I got to tell you, the thing about hair is it grows out. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know why I liked it, but it was on, it was on my collar, and I just like doing that all the time. And Julie, Julie would say, you look like a girl when you do that. And I just kept thinking, I thought that's where we were living now. It's okay to be either. <laughs> I'd like to apologize for that. It, was, it wasn't planned out. I probably should have thought about that one more time before I said it. The, 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 the truth is, we, we've turned this into a suit-wearing, clean, everybody dresses alike and comes alike and we like the same music and everybody is there. And you look at the scripture and you go, oh my gosh, everybody's different. Barnabas, and I, I don't know Barnabas and it doesn't tell us what his personality was like, but you get a sense that Barnabas was a compassionate guy. And I don't know that if it was because it's his cousin, maybe his mama was on his case. John Mark needs some manliness in him, but God had a plan for him, and that was to write one of the four Gospels that we love. And to do that, he had to be around the apostles, because John Mark, as far as we know, did not have personal experience until the end of Jesus' life with Jesus. He needed to know from Peter what the stories were. And so a lot of the, one of the reasons why Mark is one of my favorite Gospels is because I would love to sit down with uh, Peter, for instance, and just ask him, we've got an hour and a half, Peter, would you tell me about what Jesus was like? And he would give me the highlights of Jesus' ministry in life, all, the, all of his favorite things. Do you know what I mean by that? That's the book of Mark. See, the book of Mark is Peter, we believe, Peter, telling Mark all the things that Jesus taught and did, just the highlights of his ministry. So if you want to know what it's like to sit with an apostle and find out about Jesus, Mark is your gospel. If you want to obsess over Jesus, John is your gospel. But they're both from a different perspective, from different personalities. And isn't that cool? And isn't it wonderful that we got people like Jack and others of you in this room that were willing to serve Jack over in the Middle East and some of you at Vietnam, you were willing to serve and fight and that has not reneged your calling by God to serve him. You have not outkilled his grace. Ask, ask David. For those of you who have committed adultery, you have not out-adulteried David or Abraham. God is merciful and gracious and you have been tooled to serve him. You know, the thing I, the Lord's been hitting with me with lately is the whole message. that He had one message for his followers. Seek first the kingdom of God. You've heard me be saying it over and over again. Just because you're a child of God, now we need to seek first his kingdom. We have sold the message that knowing Jesus is about not going to hell. That is such a lie. 
Not going to hell is a side benefit of being his child. Now I can serve him. I can seek kingdom work instead of selfish work. And the problem here in this text, I believe, is, it's, is that Paul got selfish. He was so type A, my opinion, I, I'm, I'm making this up, just so you know, I want to be really honest. But I think Paul is so type A and so driven for the lost that he forgets that part of his ministry is discipling the found. Clay, I'm picking on you as an example. Clay Alverson, as you minister to the men at Men's Job Corps, he's the executive director of that, don't forget that the guys who come into this ministry to help you teach are just as important to God as the unsaved guys. Ladies, seasons of hope, moms, men, God is just as passionate for the souls of your own children that you are raising as he is for the neighbor's kids or the kids at VBS in a couple weeks. He loves your kids and he has given you to them to pour into their lives. And I think, my opinion, I think Paul forgot that John Mark was part of his mission. All he had to do was follow him around and he could see what courage looked like. You know, I, I think the church forgets you a lot. I think pastors do. I think we're so busy trying to fill the pews and trying to reach the lost at times, which is an admirable thing, that we forget to disciple the found. And because of that, conflict happens. We take our eyes off of seeking first his kingdom and we put it on ourselves. What is interesting, though, in all of that is that Jesus actually had conflicts in his guise, and I, I already mentioned this earlier in the message, and he actually addresses with them that's recorded for us in Matthew how to deal with interfamily conflict. It tells us how. Jesus writes in Matthew 18, and it'll be on the screen, or you can open your Bibles, verses 15 through 17. Verse 15, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. Let me make it clear. You are your brother's keeper. Let me make it even more clear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul tells us that we are absolutely supposed to judge our brothers and sisters. I know that that's a sin in this culture. Don't judge me. Well, if, you're, if we're spiritual family, Paul says we're not to judge those outside of the church, but we are absolutely supposed to judge each other. And that's because we take care of each other. Judging doesn't have to be a negative term. It's loving each other enough to help each other become healthy. It's not, it's not this person who never talks to this person, seeing them screw up and they run over there and go, you better knock it off. It's building a relationship with people. It's having coffee and pouring into somebody's life that you know is hurting. We are supposed to care for each other. And, and, and part of that is judging. If the, if, but there's two parts of conflict that happen in the church. Number one, if it's sin. Sinning against God. If somebody claims to be walking with God and is living with somebody that they're not married to. I want to remind you that I, I've heard this a lot lately, but they're not having sex or we're not having sex. I want to remind you, for the child of God who is seeking the kingdom of God, it isn't sin that's the problem. You've been forgiven. It's the image of impropriety. That's what scripture says. Avoid all appearance of evil. You see, our job is not to, dis, not to give sinful people excuses to sin. It's to avoid all appearance of evil. My job is to make sure that even though I have a right to drink, 
that I'm not causing you to stumble if in fact I do drink. And just to be clear so nobody's freaking out, I don't drink so I can talk about it. But let me be clear. I have the right to drink. The Bible never forbids it except strong drink. Not to be, let it control you. But I, am, I have a right to drink. But in Romans 16 and 15, it actually tells me that I should be more concerned with your walk with God than I, my freedom. So I have to willingly set my freedoms aside if it offends you which is what we've been talking about a lot this last year. Some of you think that wearing a mask was dumb. Some of us think uh, it was just loving your brother. But the truth is, are you willing to give up your rights so as not to cause a fight with somebody who's freaked out over something so you can share the gospel with them? And the answer is clearly with a lot of Christians in this community, absolutely not. I refuse to let somebody infringe upon my right to not wear a mask. Okay, but don't claim to be spirit-filled. I know some of you just got mad. <laughs> I don't mean to make you mad, but you've got a choice to make. Are you going to sink your rights as an American citizen first or the kingdom of God? I know that's hard, but the truth is, your whole life and my whole life, we have been sold flag, Bible, and alcohol. And the truth is, I should give up all of those things for the king. Or I'm not seeking first his kingdom. I understand that some of it's dumb. And yes, it makes me mad. And yes, I voted in a different direction. But it's not my world. And it's not even my country anymore. Never was mine. You see, I was adopted out of this into the kingdom of God. This is my family. You're my family. Which is why it's so tragic when people leave because they're mad about COVID. We can't be family if everybody just gets offended and walks away. We wrestle through it. We, we figure it out in time. Nobody said the pastor has to be right on everything or the staff or the elders. But God is a God of order and we do it the best we can. This coffee that you're going to have in two weeks, it's going to be Folgers. And Hov can't make a cup of coffee that doesn't have too many grounds in it. You're going to drink this coffee and you're going to go, wow, wow, what do I, I, don't, I don't, didn't miss it that much, but you are going to keep drinking it because you're nuts. I'm just kidding. The, the truth is, I, I think Hob just left. I, we're looking for somebody to make coffee in two weeks. I, I'm kidding. The, the thing is that people get mad. You know what people have been offended about in church color war. You know, what music book we sing out of. I grew up in a church that said drums were of the devil. Well, I want to be clear, but this morning, that's the devil's tool. Because I was encouraged today by the worship. What were we fighting about? Well, I, I, like, I like the old hymnal. Good, you can sing out of it all week. Well, I, I don't want to do that. I want to do it on Sunday mornings. Okay. Why? You get all those hours the rest of the week to sing out of the hymnal. I, or the pastor. I want a short hair pastor. Do you know what? I want, I want to compliment you. Carpenter's way, this is why I love you. I didn't get one person, despite the ugliness of my mullet, not one of you said, this is what you say at Carpenter's way when you want to let me know you're displeased. It's like, has anybody complained to you about your hair? <laughs> I mean, I don't think they should. And they're petty. But is anybody, what does Julie think? And it always makes me laugh. It's like Saturday morning calls at 6.30. Pastor, I hate to bother you at 6.30 in the morning on Saturday morning, but you're going to, aren't you? <laughs> it's, 
the, the fact is I, I appreciate so much. You give me lots of latitude, and I appreciate that. But you, you realize that we are here not to seek our own agenda, but the kingdom of God. What are churches thinking that have fights over what style of music is played? I know what some of you are thinking. Well, who gets to decide then? The pastor, shepherd that God calls. You know that? I get to decide. Nobody tells me what to preach except Jesus. Chad wrote a song this week. It was very moving. I mean, that, that's what his task is. <laughs> Chad's right now is going, don't blame me for this. <laughs> Your task is to lead our Bible study leaders. I send out a devotional each week based on the text, and, but they get to decide actually how it manifests itself in their flock because they know you. You see, one of the reasons we break this down and talk about this in our Bible study groups is so you can disagree with me. You see, church, as biblically speaking, doesn't have a program guide. It has roles and responsibilities. Pastors, elders, are to teach, equip by correcting, training, and righteousness, by teaching the Word of God. Your job as members of the flock are to minister to each other. It's all relational. And so that was necessary to help understand. If your brother causes you to, if, if your brother has sinned against God, then out of love you go to them and, you, and somebody you know, you don't just find some random person, but it says that you go to them privately and you point out their sin. If it's not a sin issue, you do the same thing. That is in a case where they've sinned against you. You go and you talk with them, you reason together. Hey man, you know, Pastor Mark, making fun of me as a Marine from the pulpit doesn't help me. Please don't ever tell anybody that again. I mean, Jack can do that this week. I won't listen to him. But yeah, I'm just kidding. But, but we can do that. That's what we do. I say dumb things all the time. And frankly, that's one of the things the elders do. I've been told on several occasions you probably shouldn't use that word from the pulpit. Jeff doesn't confront me so directly. He just shakes his head and says, another thing we've never heard from a Baptist pulpit anywhere in the world. I know what Jeff is saying. He's lovingly saying, you might not want to do it again. The, the, the point is that both are dealt with the same way. But if it's a sin issue and the person doesn't listen, Matthew 18, 16 tells us that if you are unsuccessful, and, I, and I'll get to what if it's not sin in a moment, like is in this text. But for now, if it's sin, if you're unsuccessful, you take one or two others with you and you go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So let me explain what that's about. So after I go to, or Jack comes to me and I, I'm sinning, maybe he sees me beating my wife or something and I think that's part of a godly man. He comes to me and he says, you really need to stop. That's not biblical. I love you, dude. We're close. We have coffee about as much as he can take every couple of weeks and we talk and we talk about God and, and, and he may come to me and he confronts me on that. You know, being a godly man includes not beating your wife but serving your wife. And if I go, you're crazy, man. You're so, you just don't understand. Then I continue to do it. Now Jack has an obligation to get a brother in Christ, maybe a Kip or, ja or, or uh, who can I pick on somebody this morning? Mel, Mel Miller. <laughs> Mel's like, don't pick on me. But together they come and he said, Mark, I've talked with you before about a month ago, and I'm praying for you, and you continue to do it. It's not okay. Now, here's the reason he brings two, one or two with him. Number one, because they get to referee whether Jack's wrong or I'm wrong. They get to say, Jack, this isn't sin. They listen to him talk to me again. They listen to me explain where I'm at. They, we talk about it, and they referee. You know what else they do? They referee Jack to make sure his attitude's right. 
You get it? See, God worked this out so that there's accountability on all parts. By the way, nobody wants to do this because we don't love each other enough. We all want to mind our own business. We want to take each other cakes when a family member dies, but we don't want to get in each other's business. Again, that is the problem. This isn't our own business. This is our business, seeking the kingdom first. You see, the truth is, we're going to have adultery at Carpenter's Way. We're going to have same-sex attraction. We're going to have men who beat their wives, and we're going to have wives who beat their husband. And the truth is, our goal in that isn't just to get them to stop, but to say, that is not the Spirit-filled life. It's time for you to repent and get back to the Lord. Because our goal is to seek first the kingdom. Not just out there, but in here. Does this make sense? It's really, 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 really important. And it isn't just the job of the elders. It's first your job. Second, it's yours and somebody else's so they can referee and also agree where sin is done. And then if they don't listen, the next verse 17, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, oh, sorry, I'm on the wrong one, 17a, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. And, and uh, I believe that's through the leadership. That's when you get the elders involved. So you grab a few elders, and then you meet with this person, and you sit down with them. And Jack, along with, uh, I don't remember who I said, Mel and Kip, and, and now uh, Kevin Hudson and two or three other elders, they come to me, and they say, we love you, man. And we appreciate the fact of your ministry and how God has used you, but you're about to be removed from that because of this sin. Please understand, their goal is not to remove me. It's to reform my thinking. For some reason, when we find somebody in sin now, we throw their butts out. That may happen, but not yet. This is about, okay, is that one of those words I'm not supposed to use by the pulpit? Gluteus Maximus. Our goal is to build each other up and seek first the kingdom, realizing that we all get stupid, right? All of us. So they come to me, and what do the elders do? The elders listen to, uh, they've already heard Mel share that he's concerned. They've already heard uh, Kip and Jack, and now the elders, as the leaders of our church, come to, the, come to me and they say, uh, we have heard their concerns. Why aren't you submitting to the Lord? It's not good for our pastor to beat his wife. And I go, I don't care what you say. And it is at that point that 17b comes in. If he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a, or a corrupt tax collector. Now, again, here we go back to our childhood church that walked people up aisles and made them and, and kicked them out of the church. It doesn't say kick them out of the church. What does it say to do? Treat them as an unbeliever, right? That's a summary statement. Treat them as a, as a pagan uh, or a corrupt tax collector. Not a good tax collector, but a corrupt one. So how do we treat a person who is living in a state of sin, has been confronted with their sin, and it's clear sin, and they still refuse to listen like they're not saved? Why? Because they're probably not saved. You see, Christians struggle with sin. People who pretend to be Christians don't struggle with sin. They continue living together. They don't care. They don't care about the kingdom. They don't care. Uh, they, commit, they continue to commit adultery because that makes them happy. And I, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, pastor, the Bible is full of, of people who did stuff like that. You're making it sound like we shouldn't struggle. I'm not saying that. But I do want to remind you that when Nathan approached David and said and told him a story about a guy who committed adultery with another woman, got her pregnant, and then killed her husband, David said, let's get him. You tell me who that guy is. And Nathan looked in and said, you are that man. Have you read that story? That is intense. And David's response immediately was falling on his face before the Lord and repenting. 
And he said, to you and you alone have I sinned. You see, the difference between somebody who's walking in the Spirit and somebody not, who may not even be saved, isn't struggling with sin. It's actually what you do when you're confronted with that sin. If you can go on and do what you were doing before, you should question your salvation. You see, if the Holy Spirit genuinely lives inside of us, he's speaking to us. If you could continue secretly looking at porn in the middle of the night and you never, ever, ever feel conviction or guilt or shame, you should question your salvation. Well, pastor, that's not very Baptist of you. I prayed the prayer when I was in VBS and I walked an aisle and I've been baptized 42 times. That's all fine and good, but just like circumcision doesn't save a Jew, neither does walking an aisle save a Baptist. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess Jesus as Lord... I need saving. It's that song that Chad sang this morning, and we'll have to sing it again so you can listen to it. It's that song that Chad sang. You loved me before I knew you, and you showed me mercy that I didn't deserve. I mean, the fact is, when you really are overwhelmed with grace because it opens a door for relationship, it changes how you react to God. It's not that we don't do dumb things like Peter or, or Paul and Barnabas here. It is that when we are confronted with sin, we go, man... I think I messed that up. And it may take a long time. We don't know how long it took for John, Mark, and Paul to be buds again, but we do know it happened. And I believe, Mark Wilkie's opinion, that we have so turned the body of Christ into a question of you don't want to go to hell, do you? The answer is 100% of the time, no. Well, here's what you do. You realize Jesus Christ can save you, and you make him Lord of your life. Oh, that's Lordship salvation. We can't demand that. It takes time to get there. Just so you know, Jesus Christ did not come and die on the cross for your sins so that you couldn't go to hell. He came so that you could be adopted into the family of God, like Chad said. This was always about relationship. And since the 1800s, it became just about hell. This community, this Bible Belt community, is full of people who don't want to go to hell, but also don't want to serve God. And you want an example of that this week? Somebody in our beautiful state was taking their children to a Christian charter school and flipped off somebody else who cut them off and that person took a gun and shot them. Do you hear that story? Happened this week. On their way to a charter Christian school. That, that's not kingdom first living. Well, we all get mad, Pastor. No. We don't flip people off. If you're going around doing that, knock it off. Yeah, but people, people drive like crazy. Seriously, I, I will admit something here. Those of you in California who are moving to East Texas, don't try to merge here. It's impossible. When they do driver's ed in East Texas, it's like we're not going to teach them one thing, and that is how to merge. I always wanted to somebody said amen to that. Thank you. Thank you for admitting that. When I always told Julie that I wanted to teach my kids when they were growing up 2 plus 2 equals 5 and see if it takes... I think, that, I think that the driver's education in this community has done that with merging. It's like, it's like they're getting on, and they're looking, and there's, there may be a gap in front of me or behind me, but they're like, oh, no, no. <laughs> I can tell you're from California. You either stop and let me in, or I'm smashing that beautiful little Subaru car you drive. I know if it was a big truck, they wouldn't do that. But the truth is, it, you know what I'm, it's like, just so you know. If you slow down, they can sneak in. But when I slow down here, they slow down. What is wrong with you people? That has nothing to do with my message. I just want to say, we're all screwy. 
And the truth is we shouldn't be sticking our finger out the window when people cut us off in our beautiful new Cadillac. That's not kingdom living. And just because John Mark abandoned you on your first missionary journey, when your partner wants to take him, you should humble yourself and let him come. Why? Because grace is always beautiful. It's always the right thing. But to be honest with you, in most cases, it's not going to be a sin issue. It's going to be harder than that. It's going to be a personality issue. It's going to be one person stepping on somebody else's toes. or, You know, I, I've told Steve Hicks that it must be very, very hard to have lived in this community your whole life because there are people that picked on him in high school. I know he's a brute now, but apparently he was this tall in ninth grade. I'm just picking on you, Steve. But the truth is it must be really hard to, to be older in a community and to know all their young sins. How do you overcome that? How do you forgive people that may have treated you harshly when you were younger? And, you know, you, and this is not Steve's cake, case. Him and Nancy have been married for five years. But, you know, some of you are divorced and you have your exes in this community and their new spouses. And this is part of that, seeking the kingdom more than your own rights. It's hard. But you do it for the king. And what did Paul say about that in Ephesians 4? Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg of you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Paul, what are you talking about? Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And, and I want to pause here, not because this unifies the church, but because it unifies the kingdom seeking of the family. Our job is not to be right. We'll be right in eternity. God will make justice reign. But while we're here, we need to be so obsessed, obsessed with the work of God in the world that we're not worried about our own rights being in, injured. I, I've already had a couple... Uh, so, uh, I will get comments about Robert taking this mission trip down to the border to take care of illegal aliens who have come across. God is not an American citizen. And when he brings people that we can minister to, we should minister to them. Doesn't matter what their legal status is, and no matter how you vote. I think we should have walls too. I think our country, it's good for a country. But if God brings somebody to our door here, we don't ask their sexual orientation. We don't ask what country they belong to and if they came legally. We just serve them with hopes of telling them about Jesus. And we have a sister church down on the border who has fed, Robert, what's that number? 20,000 meals? Is Robert even in this church anymore? I think, he, I think he actually attends Timber Creek, but no, I think he said, yeah, 20,000 meals, a small church, 20,000. Do you remember when we had 500 people in here for a few days during the hurricanes? 20,000 feeding them and they're clothing them. They need our help. Our brothers and sisters, you don't even have to go to that church, but you can serve them as they serve others. And I know that's upsetting. I, I get it. It's so hard to divide. Some of you served in the military, but I want you to know when you served in the military, Scripture says you were serving the Lord. Even if this country falls, you have not served in vain because you were serving the King of Kings. Police officers in this room, you are serving the Lord, not your commanding officer. You are serving Jesus Christ even if this country hates you for it. Children of God, we serve the Lord, not ourselves, not our families. We serve the Lord. And that's why we have to make allowance for each other's weaknesses 
Because if we don't, we're always going to be mad. And this community is going to continue to swap sheep. And it is happening all over the place. Dig in, fight your battle, and let God rule over who's winning. How do you do that the elders? Well, my problem is with one of those elders. We're going to side with God. You're going to have to trust us on that. Even if you're wrong. Or if you're right. I want to remind you one final thing, and then we're done. Matthew 6, 9. Would you put that up there? Very last verse. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. You guys know where I'm going, don't you? Would you read it with me? Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Next verse. I know some of you are already thrown off because it's not in the King James, so just read it. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's stop. Just pause there. So you're seeking first his kingdom. May your will be done on earth. Even if America falls, well, what good can come out of that? We send more missionaries. God can take care of it. I got an article this week that says unless the church fights for Republican causes, the church is going to fall. Just to be clear, the church exists in great success in Iran and China. And you know what? God's got the church. So may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Keep going. Give us today the food we need. It's a great prayer. Next. And forgive us our sins as we... Yeah, I don't like that part. Hey, I, okay, just, just, just soak that in. Look at... I'm sorry. It's here. I've also got it in the back. I want you to think about what the Lord taught us to pray. We need you to forgive us. Oh, yeah, we like that. Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. And I know that I wasn't completely committed today, so forgive me. Okay, Mark. But the prayer is, you forgive me as I forgive those who have sinned against me. Wow. I guess we could have just read that and closed in prayer. Because we're asking God to forgive us as we have forgiven others. So the question is, have you forgiven others? Even if they don't deserve it. Because you didn't deserve it. You keep doing it. So if they keep doing it, we have to keep forgiving. This was such a hard thing for the disciples to swallow that they actually asked Jesus, how many times do we forgive? Seven? And Peter thought, man, that was, I'm being very gracious. Remember Jesus' response? 70 times seven. What is that, 499? Is that like the right number? Jim, what is it? What? 490? So you get a little bored, and you count off. Mark Wilkie, one, two. When you get to 490, you can stop forgiving me. But until then, you have to deal with my sin, and you have to deal with my quirks even if it's long hair that goes down to here next year. I'm going to braid it. I'm going to get a man bun. <laughs> yeah, I've got a feeling that that would be the end. The man bun. It would be like, thank you for your time serving at Carpenter's Way. We have enjoyed your time. Where's your next ministry? What do you mean? Man bun goes or you do. Gosh, do you know what? This is really hard, isn't it? But isn't it wonderful to know we're not the first one to struggle with this? Isn't it wonderful? that even good old Paul, I think, did it wrong here. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, help us to love you the most and help us seek your rights more than our own. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful day. Robert is going to be in the back on that side if you have questions about the mission trip. If you're visiting or you want to fill out information, we got a welcome table. Camper meeting is going to be up here in a few moments uh, for high school and junior high campers. Meet Adam up there.